Welcome to Smart Habits for Translators, a podcast for translators by translators, bringing you simple strategies to build better habits and improve your business and lifestyle. We're your hosts, Madalena sanchez Ampalo and Veronica de Michelis. Like you, we are professional translators striving to balance the challenges that come with building a career and maintaining clarity and boundaries between work and personal life. Welcome to Smart Habits for Translators. This is episode 84. We're excited to be back after our summer hiatus from the podcast, all refreshed and recharged to bring you all new episodes and guests. And speaking of guests, today's episode is one we are very excited to be bringing to you, and it might be fresh on your mind if you took a vacation this summer and brought along some work with you. You may have heard this referred to as a working vacation or a workcation, and we found the perfect person to share about her recent workcation with us and let us in on all the details about how to take one and how to make the most of it. We're excited to welcome Corinne McKay back to the podcast. Corinne is an English and French conference and legal interpreter and ATA-certified French-to-English translator based in Boulder, Colorado. A full-time freelancer since 2002, she served on the board of the American Translators Association for seven years, including as ATA president from 2017 to 2019. She is the author of the book How to Succeed as a Freelance Translator and runs the online professional development platform Training for Translators. After more than 15 years as a translator, Korean caught the interpreting bug, passed the Colorado State Board Interpreter exams for French, and then earned a master's in conference interpreting from Glendon College. She now divides her time between interpreting, translation, and offering business training for other freelancers. Welcome back to Smart Habits for Translators, Corinne. Oh my gosh, thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here and um, happy to join you. Yeah, thanks for joining us again, Corinne. It's always fun when we can bring you on the podcast. So before we hear all about your recent workation, we'd like to hear from you about what it actually means to take one. <laughs> because people might be wondering, what does this entail and how much work or vacation am I actually getting? <laughs> what is this and why? Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So can you tell us more about the concept of a workation and why you decided to have one this year? Right. So to me, I guess everyone has their own definition, but I would say it is what it sounds like where you're combining work and a vacation. So you're going to a new location, but you're working either full time or close to it while you're there. So I think all of us have as freelancers, when we go on vacation, we typically aren't going to completely unplug for that long. So in a way, we're kind of always workcationing. But in this case, the idea was to work full time or close to it while in a vacation destination. So it's not a staycation. Right. Correct. Okay. We, no, we did not stay. We went. You, you do actually go somewhere. Okay. <laughs> yes, exactly. Right. So we live in Boulder, Colorado, in the Rocky Mountains of the U.S., and we went to a small town called Fernie, F-E-R-N-I-E, British Columbia, which is pretty much 20 hours of driving due north of Boulder. So it's, if you envision where Calgary is, it's a couple hours south of Calgary, actually not that far over the U.S. border. It's only like 45 minutes over the U.S. border. We did. That's part. Yeah. Yeah. We'll talk more about that, but we did. (laughs) We are not huge road trippers, but we did drive there. So when we're talking about why, um, I mean, I think I'll talk more about the reasons 
anyone might want to do a workcation. But for us, this year, it was sort of a convergence of factors, primarily that my husband works in, he has a salary job, he's not a freelancer, and he works in IT at a government research lab. And they never allowed remote work from outside the U.S., but now they do, and you can do 20 working days outside the U.S., so we decided to just go for it. And then there were various other factors. So my daughter is now 20 years old, and last year was sort of the first year when COVID restrictions were lifted that we left her alone in our house for a long period of time, and we just did a sort of mountain biking road trip. The house was still standing when we returned home. And so this year we decided let's go for a whole month. And I would say for those, including both of our hosts who have smaller children, in a moment of poetic justice as a parent that comes if you wait long enough, my daughter could not come on the trip because she had to work. (laughs) (laughs) If you wait long enough, it happens. (laughs) Yeah. Very cool. How do you recommend people go about deciding when to have a workcation rather than a non-working vacation? Right. I mean, as we've talked about before and as I've, you know, written about and talked about, I am a big fan of just vacation, vacation. I think that I probably actually take a lot more true vacation than most freelancers do. So this is not my, you know, sales pitch. Like you never have to take vacation time again. (laughs) Just work everywhere all the time. That wasn't the point. But here, my idea was that, as I said, my husband has a salary job. So his vacation days are sort of dictated by his job. And he wanted to save those up for longer trips. And for me, I'm still sort of establishing myself in interpreting. And so I didn't want to completely turn down work. So the only negative, which has nothing to do with with workcations, it's just, you know, roll of the dice, is that the reason for saving up vacation is that we were going to mountain bike the Colorado Trail when we got home. And both of us got covid on the way home. So, I mean, that's just life in, you know, 2023. And now we have, you know, the vacation time saved up for something else. But I think it is particularly advantageous if you have a spouse or partner or a person you would travel with who has a salary job with limited vacation, or if you want to save your vacation for something else. Yeah, that makes sense. And it sounds like it's something you do need to plan ahead for, um, especially, you know, not to say that I spontaneously take vacations, but especially with little kids, but it sounds to me that you do need to kind of plan ahead and prepare for a workcation. So how do you prepare yourself and your business for doing something like that? Right. You're right that it's not something that you just plan probably the week before you're going to do it. Because I think one of the things that we thought of was, you know, we're hoping to now do this every year. And so we sort of had in our heads like, you know, this isn't going to be a one-time thing. We don't have to kind of tick all the boxes the very first time we do it. So one of the things that we thought of was that it would eliminate a lot of logistical stress if we picked somewhere we could drive 
drive and if we pick somewhere in the same time zone. And my husband does a lot of meetings for work and obviously, you know, interpreting happens at a different time. And I think that there are advantages to changing time zones. So for example, my friend and colleague Yves Baudou did an extended period of time in France, maybe 10 years ago. And there, like she basically had the daytimes free and then worked in the evenings for her U.S. clients, which, you know, that that kind of has its advantages too, but we wanted someplace in the t- same time zone and where we weren't going to have to think about how to transport all the stuff. <laughs> so we took, for example, we obviously both took work stuff. Both of us took second monitors. I'll, you know, I'll talk about that a little more later, but we also took our mountain bikes, hiking gear, and we thought, you know what, we can just throw it all in the Subaru Outback <laughs> And we don't have to think about, you know, are we going to ship stuff? Or are we going to rent bikes there? Are you going to pay more to, to take it on the plane? That's the smart. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So we rented a house on Airbnb, which if you want an entire month in the same place, I would actually recommend doing well in advance. It, believe it or not, I looked this up when I was preparing to talk to you guys and I booked the house in February and it was actually a little difficult to find one place that was available for the whole month, even in February, because people will randomly book, you know, like Canada Day weekend or, you know, something like a holiday weekend or something like that. So I think you want to book it pretty far ahead. And, you know, we'll talk about the technology part in a little bit, but we rented a house on Airbnb. It's not the cheapest option, but it worked quite well because it's totally, you know, turnkey. Like everything is done for you just show up, bring your toothbrush. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and and you make a good point about planning that in advance, because if you're, especially if you're going in high season, travel season, you know, the smart thing to do for that period of time. And so you kind of talked about time already. How do you choose the location and the amount of time that you plan to take? Right. So in this case, we had actually visited this town on the mountain bike road trip that I mentioned the previous summer. And it kind of ticked all the boxes for us. Like we could rent a whole house for a fairly reasonable price. There were tons of recreational opportunities right there. Like just a factoid for any of your listeners who are into mountain biking, hiking, that kind of thing. Right near Fernie, there are so many trails right there. We drove six miles in one month. What? Other than other than when I had to go get my computer fixed, which I'll talk about in a bit. Oh. Yes. Six miles because you can just mountain bike or walk to all of the trailheads. So like I said, we thought about time zone and I think there you just want to think about what your objective is. Like I know, Madalena, you recently moved time zones and said you're happier. <laughs> yeah. Much happier, yeah. Right. So I think it could be an advantage, but just if you're thinking, like if you typically live in New York and you're thinking about going to Thailand, <laughs> I would I would just think it through. Like, you know, you can you can kind of leverage time zone, but you also don't want to be sort of, you know, on Zoom calls at three in the morning. So yeah. And then you don't really have to adjust to the time zone that much either. Exactly. Zero. So what work-related factors do you need to consider when you are choosing a location other than what you already mentioned with time zone and such? So I think that the only factors that I really thought of were, I. so I work at a co-working office normally. I don't work at home. 
And so I just knew, like knowing myself, I want some place where it's in our budget to rent a place that has a separate room for me to work. So because I think who knows, people might want to take a workcation to, you know, Paris. <laughs> like our priority was recreation, but you might be going someplace really expensive. And so I think that you want to think about the size of place, especially if you're going with your family. Think about the size of place that you can afford to rent. And then, of course, whether you do any on-location work. So I had to, you know, make a deliberate decision that I was going to turn down in-person interpreting work for that month. And in the end, I did actually end up turning down uh, what would have been a really attractive in-person conference interpreting assignment. But I think you just have to sort of make your peace with that. But, you know, one thing I found is we did, I guess, what you would call sort of a, you know, OG workcation <laughs> in 2012 <laughs> when, it, when it wasn't really a thing. And we, all of us in my family are dual Swiss American citizens. And we went to Switzerland and my husband did a consulting job there. And for a friend who worked at a boarding school where my daughter went to summer camp. So my daughter was nine at the time. And even in, we, you know, you think of 2012 as being the modern era, but things in terms of choosing a location and how easy it is have gotten so much easier. So for example, at that time, I don't believe that there was any continuous international cell service. So for example, we had to get a Swiss burner phone. Yes, I remember those days. <laughs> yes. Or the calling cards. <laughs> yes, remember like phone cards yes. and we had to buy a Swiss burner phone and then no one had that number. Right. You know, and this time, I mean, to be honest, I like I kept my membership at my yoga studio at home and just did online classes on the deck in British Columbia. Like the factors in choosing a location, I feel like have gotten so much easier unless you're going to a place that like literally doesn't have internet, you know, something like that. So, yeah. Yeah. I like what you said uh, a minute ago about, you know, having to turn certain things down just because that's, you know, you make that choice. But, you know, I think that's important to mention because even though it's a workation that, you know, something attractive might come up, you don't want to literally be working the whole time. That's not, that's the point of having a workation. So that's interesting. And I think you made a good point too about the access we have now because of technology and travel and such. Cool. Right. I mean, really, even in, you know, 11 years, I noticed a huge difference. And like you said, Madalena, I think even when you are workcationing, you want to really remember the reason why you're doing it and stick with it. So for example, a couple of clients offered me in-person interpreting assignments that I would have had to fly to for a couple of days from there. And I just thought, no, no, <laughs> it's going to disrupt the whole sort of flow of why I'm there because there's, you know, no, the major airport would be Calgary, which is like three hours away. So I'd probably have to go the night before. So I think you do want to set boundaries around stuff, even though there's some work in the workcation. Which I imagine is hard, that part, like making those decisions. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Well, speaking of your clients, do you notify your clients about your workcation or do you just operate like business as usual? So this might sound weird, but you'll know what I mean. I only told clients if I thought it would be a positive. 
So I have a lot of Canadian interpreting clients, and for some of them, I'm one of their only U.S.-based interpreters. So I made a point to tell them how much I love Canada. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I'm even, I'm coming to Canada for a month. And I also told them, even though I knew it was a small chance that if they had any on-site work near where I was going to be, to let me know. In the end, none did, but a couple of them were like, oh, that's so cool. You know, like if anything comes up in Calgary, we'll tell you. And otherwise, I did not tell them because, again, I think a huge shift, you know, in the past few years and particularly since the pandemic is that a lot of people, I think, in our profession are now completely itinerant. You know, now I think it's it really is not that atypical to talk to people who really don't have a permanent address anymore, you know. So I just thought, like, I don't think that my client, I don't think there's really a need to tell them. And I only told them if I thought they would think it was cool. <laughs> so. I love the kind of positive spin on it, too. And yeah, I do agree that many people work remotely these days. So it really doesn't matter where you're based uh, or where you're moving around. So you mentioned boundaries earlier. And to follow up on that, to see if you have any thoughts on how to enjoy the vacation aspect around your work and also set some working hours. Mm-hmm. So I think for me, the whole key was the working hours. So one of the reasons that we chose British Columbia is because it's light until 10 p.m. in the summer. And so what we both tried to do and we really pretty much stuck to was to finish working by about 4.30 p.m. and then go mountain biking or hiking for maybe two or three hours. And in the end, we were there for 27 days and we did 20 mountain bike rides and seven hikes. <laughs> So we definitely we definitely made the most of it. And so just like Madalena was saying, one thing I did was turn down all evening assignments. So anything that was going to happen that wouldn't be done by about 4.30 or 5, I turned it down. And I did not work weekends at all. And personally, I found that that trying to finish by 4.30 was a really good motivator. Because I think, you know, I feel like when my daughter was younger, and I was mostly the one picking her up at school that I was just in like turbo mode, you know, because you have this hatchet hanging over your (laughs) neck that you have to finish by 2.30. Like, stop me if this sounds familiar. But You know, now I've sort of gotten into that mode of like, eh, you know, I mean, I'm not that person who typically works until seven o'clock, but if I go till, you know, five, five thirty, or sometimes I'll even like work until six and then go to a, you know, go do an exercise thing on the way home. But I found that that idea of being done by 4.30 was for me a really good motivator. And then you can go out and and I talked to a couple of other workcation people who said that they did the same thing even in cities and said, you know, like it's a nice time of day to be out in the early evening when it's kind of cooling off and people are going out for like happy hour dinner. So, you know, depending on what your personal preference is, I would recommend that the kind of start early, finish early and don't do evening and weekend work. And what can you do to prepare for sort of unforeseen issues like poor Wi-Fi connection and so on? Yeah, so particularly if you do any interpreting or Zoom meetings, you need like plans A through Q. (laughs) (laughs) So what, what I found was the Wi-Fi speed test, which places will offer you like, oh, I'll test the Wi-Fi speed and send you a screenshot. It doesn't tell you about stability 
if anybody knows of some sort of test <laughs> where, you know, that you can like leave it running for an hour or something like that and tell you what the stability is, because I find that's the bigger problem is stability. If you have a test for that, let us know, seriously. <laughs> Contact Madeline and Veronica and let us know. So first, like the obvious thing is that I think you want to ask the place that you're staying and explain to them what your internet needs are. So for example, the people we rented our house from, I said, you know, it often happens that we are going to both be on Zoom meetings at once. Like, have you ever done that? Have you had people who did it? And one thing I do find is post, I don't want to say post pandemic because I got COVID. (laughs) In the aftermath of COVID, lots of places will even advertise on Airbnb equipped for remote workers. So for example, we went to Mexico for New Year's and one of the goals of that trip was to not work at all. (laughs) But the house that we rented, they actually said, because the internet service where we went was a little spotty and they even said, we have two internet providers because we're, you know, fully equipped for remote workers. So that's something I think to look at. But also I brought my own like 50 foot ethernet cable so that I could plug it in. In my real office at home, I only use wired internet for interpreting. I don't use Wi-Fi. So I brought my ethernet cable. And then I also scoped out whether there was a co-working office where we were going, which there was. So the thing is that I actually think you need to check out all of those because what happens if you go to this place and like the neighbor's house is being demolished? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like your internet could be fine, but the, you know, there could be noise in the area, like all kinds of things would happen. So you need a lot of backup plans. And then one thing I would also look at is a lot of cell phone plans these days, like I have Verizon and it works, it works the same in Canada and Mexico at no extra cost. And it really does work the same. Like I've now, I went to Canada and Mexico this year and the service is as far as I can tell, exactly the same. So you could hotspot off your phone. And in the end, shout out to Canadian internet. It was actually fast. We have fiber internet at home and it was actually faster and more stable. The internet at the house we rented in Canada was faster and more stable than our fiber internet at home. So, yeah. And another like just sort of weirdo tip I would put here, but you know, I think you will, you guys will probably agree with this. Assess whether there is a culture of working from coffee shops where you're going, because in some places it's weird to do that. <laughs> like in Canada, people don't really work from coffee shops unless it's Starbucks. They actually have coffee there. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Yeah. And so not to say you couldn't, but you know, you go in the US and basically you can use a coffee shop as a co-working office and no really, no one really cares if you like, you know, buy a coffee and a pastry and sit there for four hours. And in some countries, it's culturally weird to do that. So. Very interesting. Yeah. That's something I don't think I ever would have thought about very much unless, especially if the place has Wi-Fi, right? You would, mm-hmm. Well, it's it's there for the taking, but, you know, it's a cultural thing too. So Corinne, what would you say worked well during this workation that you just took? And is there anything that you would do differently the next time? 
So I would say for us, it was a resounding success. We're already thinking about next year because we enjoyed it so much. And I think one thing that we thought about is that if it were possible with my husband's job, that we would like to do a workation for even longer, maybe the whole summer, you know, something like June, July, and August, if my husband's job allows it at some point. So like I said, basically everything this time was easier than the, you know, first generation workation that we did in 2012. So right there, I think a lot of advantages. The only mishap was that my computer went on the fritz while we were there. In the end, it was a super simple thing. It just needed the battery reset. It worked out, but I actually think that if we did a workation again to somewhere we were driving, I'd bring a backup computer because it made me, it really made me realize like the last thing I want to be doing on this trip is trying to chase down buying another computer and converting everything. I mean, so I think I would bring a backup computer, but really other than that, you know, huge success and much, much easier than the working trips we've done in the past. Interesting. I love that. So do you have any final tips for somebody who is planning to try to take a workation? Yeah, I do. So I think that even though I, as I said, I am a big proponent of unplugged vacation and I really try to do at least, I always do the week between Christmas and New Year's. And then I try to do one work week, week in the summer where I don't take a computer on the trip. So I might be able to do some minimal, you know, getting back to people on my phone, but I don't take a computer. But I think the whole workcation idea has opened up a lot of opportunities for all phases of freelance life and particularly for those of us, which is almost all of us in translation and interpreting who have strong connections to another country. So for example, I think for people who have young kids, you could go workcation in your other country and put your kids in summer activities there, which I think, you know, like I remember when Veronica did a trip to visit her mom in Russia a few years ago. And when you were saying, Veronica, about your daughter, like, oh my gosh, her yes. Russian is better after yes. two weeks yeah. <laughs> yeah. here, you know, than in trying to speak Russian at home for years and think about if she could go do a oh summer camp, yeah. you know. Totally. <laughs> Right. Already giving right. us ideas, Corinne. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Or like Madalena, right, with your connections in Brazil, you know, or in Spain or whatever, that I actually think that if my daughter were younger, I would really, really think about maybe doing that every summer you know, like have it go. And because then when you think about doing that normally, you're like, oh my gosh, this is this huge cash hemorrhage. Like we're already paying for this trip and now we're going to pay for the kids to go to summer camp, but go and do a workation, you know, and then put your kids in summer activities there so that they're not doing just the tourist stuff, but they're going to, you know, a real kids summer camp. And now I think like places are a lot more receptive to that because a lot more people are doing the digital nomad thing that I think if you said, you know, we're going to be here for two weeks and I'd really like to, you know, my kids speak some of the language, but I'd really like to expose them to the culture and have them make some friends. I think places would be totally up for that, you know? So yeah, I mean, for us, the priority was like recreation opportunities and long days. But I just think, you know, whatever your purpose is, the thing that you sort of always wish you could have combined with work that I think now you could. It's <laughs> a very good point. I like that. That's Yeah, there's so many possibilities, right? See, <laughs> right. <laughs> now we're all like, right. I'm going to book this this afternoon. Right, exactly. 
getting on Brazilian summer camp websites. <laughs> yeah, it would be great because it's winter there. So, I mean, you wouldn't be yes. really like suffering in the heat either. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Wow, that was amazing. Thank you so much for spending time with us today and sharing about your workation experience and sharing such amazing tips that our colleagues can use when planning their workation. I know I'm getting some ideas now. You know, when you started, Corinne, I was like, well, unless Madalena and I and our families go on a workation together and we can take turns watching the kids, you know, that's probably (laughs) far in the distant future for me. But after your last tip, I'm like, oh, that could actually work. Right. No, no. You get right. You put them in camp and then think about what it's going to do for their, I mean, for real, think about what it would do for their language skills, you know, and they would, right, make friends and, you know, feel and really feel more of a connection to, you know, to their other country than just going and being a tourist, you know. Love it. Thank you. So before we wrap up, we'd love it if you join us for a segment that we call Guests Favorites, where we ask our guests to share something with our listeners about a favorite book or resource or a gadget. So is there anything that you'd like to recommend? Yes, I actually have two things. So one is related to workcationing. So like most of us, I work on a second monitor, but I have this huge second monitor that I didn't really want to haul with me. So I started researching portable external monitors and I ended up with a Dell 14. I think it's because it's a 14 inch. I love it. It was $300. It's the exact same size as a laptop screen. And the thing that is really great about it is that it runs off one cable for power and data. So for you don't have to plug it in separately and you can use it when you're running your laptop only off the battery. You know, so for example, I've used it in, you know, airports and lots of like even places where you can't plug the computer in. As long as the computer is charged, then you just, it's a USB-C cable that runs both power and data. So I love my little Dell 14. And it's so thin that mine actually fits in the sleeve with my laptop. Wow. You know, it depends on, yeah, yeah. It's really, it's, I mean, if I look at the side of it here, it's probably about the thickness of like, I don't know, 10 pieces of paper. It's very, it's wow. really skinny. Yeah. So I love it. And then my non-workcation trip is I still use a paper planner, not because I'm technophobic. I'm actually not technophobic, but because it drives me crazy when the online calendar switches time zones yeah. on you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You know, and you go someplace else and you're like, wait, did it switch? Did it not switch? You know, so I still use a paper planner and I needed to buy a new one because I already have some stuff for 2024 that is getting scheduled. And I found, I have to admit, one of my, like whatever the opposite of a superpower is, one of my non-superpowers is I'm completely sucked in by social media ads. (laughs) So I got an Instagram ad for this company called Commit. 30. So it's just the word commit and the number 30. And lo and behold, it's a Colorado woman-owned small business. So I thought, okay, I'm going to order this thing. And it's a really, right now they're running, I'm not on commission, I swear, but they're running a special now where if you buy a 2024 planner, you get the 2023 one for free. So you can try it out and see if you like it. So what this is, is I find that the planner aspect of it is great because I'm kind of picky about having enough space to write in my appointments and things like that, the planner feature is great. But then what it does is encourage you to pick a, why it's called Commit 30, pick a different 30-day challenge for yourself for every month of the year. 
and track whether you did it or not. And you can put in, like it has circles that you cross off for every day you did it. And then you can decide like, did you reach the goal? Do you want to give yourself a reward? So the other thing they encourage you to do is pick something that you're actually going to do 30 days in a row and then pick something that's maybe not daily, but that you want to try within that 30-day period. And to me, that really appealed to me because it's not like thinking, I'm going to do this thing every day for the rest of my life. It's like, I'm going to do this thing for 30 days and see what I think. So for the first 30 days, I picked that I'm going to meditate with the Calm app every day, which so far I've done every day, and that I'm not going to get on social media on weekends that I'm going to be social media free on weekends. And again, I thought like, I can do that for one month and then see how it went. So the commit 30 planner is my new thing. That's cool. And then you can see if you want to commit that as a habit because 30 days, I mean, you could definitely make something a habit in 30 days. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Check it out. Yeah, we'll add those to our show notes, the links to those, because I'm very curious about both, especially the monitor. That's really interesting. Yeah, the the monitor I really love. And I just think now portable monitors have gotten small enough that they're actually portable. Like I think the last time I thought about buying one, I thought like, well, that's basically like hauling around a second laptop. (laughs) And I know also that like I'm not a real iPad person and there now are really great ways that you can turn your iPad into a second monitor. So if you're a tablet person, you know, look up those resources as well. But I'm not much of a tablet person because I like to, I don't really love to be on a screen for recreational purposes. So I still read paper books. And so for me, the portable monitor was definitely the way to go. Yeah, it sounds very interesting. And I think it could be probably useful on many of your trips. So that's awesome. Totally. Thanks again for joining us today, Corinne. And before we go, where can our colleagues learn more about you and find you online? Yeah, sure. So my website for other translators is trainingfortranslators.com. On the platform formerly known as Twitter, I'm just my name, Corinne McKay. And you can feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn at Corinne McKay. We'll add those links to our show notes too. And that's a wrap on today's episode. As always, in a couple of days, our email subscribers will get a summary of the episode with all the links to the resources that we mentioned today, including the ones that Corinne shared with us. So if you don't receive our emails yet, you can sign up for those at smarthabitsfortranslators.com. And if you like this episode, we would love it if you shared it with your colleagues and friends and left us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. This only takes a minute and we have recorded a quick video tutorial to show you how to do it. You'll find it in our show notes. Talk to you soon.